good morning, everybody. It's great to have you here today. Glad you could be here. And if this is your first time with us, man, we're thrilled. Hope you'll come back and do this with us again um, next week. And as the Lord guides you in the direction you're supposed to go. Hey, if you've got your Bibles, please open them to the Gospel of John. It's the fourth book in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's where we've been studying um, these past few uh, weeks now. And as you're turning there, let me also just say a quick word here at the beginning that a lot of you have been wondering, hey, how did Commitment Sunday come out? And, you know, if you don't know what I'm talking about, a, a few weeks ago, we were able to share the good news that the Lord has opened up the door for us to, to own some land out on the west side of Bella Vista, right out by the pa- bypass for future expansion. We're very excited about that. And then we put the need in front of you. We still needed about $100,000 to finish off that, um, that purchase of that land. I want to tell you today, uh, two weeks into it, um, we have received in gifts and commitments right about $70,000. So I'd give yourself a hand. That is good. That's really good. We're happy. Uh, we still have a little ways to go. I want to thank those of you that have participated. And if you're, you know, still thinking about it, let me just encourage you to continue to pray and just seek the Lord. It's totally between you and the Lord. But if you would like to go ahead and, and be a part of that, um, we have more of these commitment envelopes out at the Welcome Center. You can use those to make your gift or to, to write down the commitment that you want to make towards it. You can always go online to make that gift. Uh, whatever the Lord leads you to do, that's all we want to put in front of you is a path to follow through on that. But we are excited. We do believe that, uh, that uh, getting that property paid off as quickly as possible um, is a good thing, and uh, that uh, uh, makes it even easier for us to move on to the next part, which is in God's timing uh, to, to hopefully have a second campus out there one day, uh, a New Life Christian Church West Side campus, and uh, I'm excited. It kind of sounds like a Broadway musical, doesn't it? New Life West Side Campus. I don't know. I don't know. We'll explore that maybe. No, we won't. I'm kidding. Um, anyway, hey, got your Bibles and your John's Gospel. That's where we're going to be. I want to thank Pastor Mario for preaching over chapter 13 last week and Jesus washing his disciples' feet. But let me just kind of give you a little bit of context as to where we are at. In John chapter 12, Jesus has his feet anointed by Mary with this very expensive lotion and perfume. It was, the Bible calls it nard, and we spent some time looking at that, and this is where she wipes off the excess with her hair. Well, the very next day, Jesus will go to Jerusalem. It's about a mile and a half journey from Bethany where he was at, and he will enter into the city to, to uh, be a part of the Passover festivities, and the Bible tells us that that there were all these people, they came out and they lined the streets to see Jesus. And, and why were they so excited to see Jesus? They were excited to see him because they wanted to see the guy who raised the guy from the dead. They all heard about Lazarus, and many of them could see Lazarus was still walking around. It wasn't a hoax, and they're like, Jesus did that, and I hear he's coming into town, and they all rush to the streets. And the Bible really does leave this impression that it's a large gathering of people. So as Jesus walks down into the city, he's coming up the road, people are cheering for him, they are, are uh, singing praises, and, and, and some of them even go so far is they go and they cut palm branches off of some trees, and they lay them down in front of Jesus as he comes by. Now, if you know a little bit of the history there, that uh, palm branches and laying down of cloaks in front of Jesus, that was something that was reserved for royalty. When a king or a VIP was coming, no, you did it for them. Jesus, uh, the son of a carpenter? No, no, no. This shows you 
how people viewed him on this day. Somebody very important is coming into town. Now, all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all record this very moment in their writings when Jesus enters into Jerusalem on this day. It's commonly referred to in church world as the triumphal entry. If you've heard of that, it's the triumphal entry. It happened on a Sunday. This is the the first day of the last week of Jesus' life. The triumphal entry happened on a Sunday. Jesus will be dead on Friday. And then he will raise the life on Sunday. We have reached this point in our study, which is known as Passion Week, or sometimes known as Holy Week. The, The reason why we call the Sunday before Easter as Palm Sunday is because this is the day that people laid palm branches. I didn't know if you knew that or not, but that's why the Sunday before Easter is called Palm Sunday. This is where we are at in our study of John's gospel. Mario led us into chapter 13 last week where Jesus was in the upper room with his disciples in what could only be described as one of the humblest examples of servanthood as Jesus washed his disciples' feet. Also, that very night in that very room where the foot washing happened, Jesus will call out Judas, who was one of the disciples. He will call him out as a betrayer in front of all the other disciples. It's the same night that Peter boldly proclaims, Lord, I will die for you. I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus says, are you sure? Really, Peter, you'll do that? In John chapter 13, verse 38, Jesus says, Peter, very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, in other words, before the sun comes up tomorrow, you will deny that you even knew me three times. All of what Jesus said came true. Judas will go and betray him that very night for 30 pieces of silver, and Peter will deny that he ever knew him three times before the sun comes up. And right here at this point in our study, what is about to unfold on what is now this Thursday night into Friday morning of Jesus' final week, there is a lot that's about to happen. Now, I, I probably sound like a broken record, and then I, if I am, I apologize, but I'm going to encourage you, you need to read all four gospel accounts of Jesus' life because all four accounts give us different details of all that happened that last week of Jesus' life. They together give us a clear picture of what happened that week. Now, John's gospel that we're studying, here's what John does with the final week of Jesus' life. He gives us details, but he will spend the most time talking about what happens on this Thursday evening, this last evening that Jesus has with his disciples. If you've read ahead, then you already know that John chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17 all have to do with what happened on this one night. He gives us a whole lot of details. Now, here's what we're going to do today. We are going to spend our time with chapters 14 through 16. And I know that is a lot of ground to cover. And I'll say again what I've said many times. You're going to have to read this on your own because we're not going to get every detail out of it. But we are going to focus on 14 to 16. And I want us to do something together in, that's very evident in these three chapters. It's, it's very significant and I want to zero in on it that uh, is, is something that I want to talk about is something that doesn't really get a lot of attention, in my opinion, when talking about the last week of Jesus' life. In fact, some of you, I would presume, who have been Christians for many years, 
have probably not spent a whole lot of time focusing on what Jesus says about this particular thing to his disciples on that last week. And some of this may feel kind of new, I think. Like, well, I never thought about it like that before. And I, I think some of you will have that experience this morning. Before we get to it, though, let me just ask you a question. How many of you are using Bibles that give uh, chapter titles before you read? Like, I use the NIV, and I would imagine many of you use the NIV translation. In fact, the Bibles that are in the seat pockets around you are the NIV version of the Bible. I don't want to get on a whole long thing about that, but, you know, we all know, I hope we all know that the Bible was not written in English. We know that, right? So we take the original text in Greek and Hebrew, and then it gets translated into English so people like us can read it and enjoy it and absorb it. And so there's multiple translations of the original text. Well, the New International Version is just one of those of many great translations of the original text into English. Well, in the NIV version of the Bible, before every chapter, they offer a title. If you look on the screen behind me, you're going to see a, a screenshot of my Bible. And uh, I took my little phone and went, and I put it up there for you. And that's exactly the sound I made when I did it. That's my take a picture sound. And this is my Bible. And you're going to see that right before John chapter 14, there is a, a chapter title. And what does it say? Jesus comforts his disciples. It's in a different font and it's in a different color. You know why that is? It's because that's not inspired text. I want to be very clear. John did not write, Jesus comforts his disciples. The, the editors of this translation of the Bible, they got together and said, you know what, our best interpretation of what Jesus is about to say is, this is the part of the Bible where Jesus is going to comfort his disciples. So let's title it, Jesus comforts his, and they do that for every chapter, and sometimes by every paragraph, and your Bible may do the same thing. Personally, I kind of like these titles, even though they're not scripture, and I know they're not. I kind of like them, because there's a lot of times I can't remember where something happened in the Bible, I know, shocking, but there's sometimes I can't remember, and so instead of, I, I just flip through until I find the chapter title, I'm like, oh, there it is, that's where Jesus fed 5,000 people. Anyway, I, I, I like him, okay, I like him. But in John 14, there's this overriding theme of comfort. Jesus comforts his disciples. It makes me ask the question before I ever read it, why did his disciples need comfort? And what in the world could Jesus possibly say to them that would bring them this comfort? Well, let's read about it. John chapter 14, verse 1, it says this. Jesus said in the upper room on this Thursday night, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, or my Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I not have told you where I'm going to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Now, if you were to keep reading, and I hope you will on your own, you're going to discover that Jesus has a conversation with his disciples, and they ask some very important questions. Well, if that's where you're going, show us how to get there, because we want to be there with you. And in this discussion, Jesus reveals one of the most famous things that he ever said, John, John 14, verse 6. Do you remember what it was? I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And you know what? That is comforting, isn't it? I tell you, there's some comfort there with that. 
You know, Jesus had just told them moments before in chapter 13, Judas will betray me, Peter will deny me, and then I will not be with you anymore. And so he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Why would he say that? Because their hearts were troubled. Over all this news, Jesus is going away. They're confused. Not everything is going to make sense until after Jesus dies and raises to life again. But his comforting words here in chapter 14 could very easily be summarized. Guys, I'm going to be leaving, uh, but heaven is waiting, and faith in me is the path to heaven. And that is still comforting words today. And that is why when you attend the funeral of a Christian, John chapter 14 is often the text that is read at the funeral. The Lord is preparing a place, and believers get to be with him one day. So Jesus is comforting his disciples in John 14. But I would make this argument that that, uh, the promise of heaven that Jesus talks about, it is not the most comforting thing that he will say to his disciples in that room on that night. Now, I want to be very clear here. I'm not saying he's not comforting him with the hope of heaven because the idea of heaven and what we are aiming for and what all of this leads to, well, that is very comforting. But even with that out there, there can still exist very easily this thought. And maybe you have thought it. Heaven is going to be wonderful, but what about the right now? Have you ever wondered? I've got problems right now. I know what's coming, and one day the suffering will be over, and I know one day it's going to be great, but how am I going to get through the rest of today, and how am I going to get through tomorrow? And and does the Lord understand that there are things in my life that don't make sense, and and there's things going to happen next week and in the weeks ahead? I don't know how I'm going to get past it. What about the right now? And perhaps maybe even the disciples were having some of those similar thoughts right there in the upper room in John 14. It's almost like maybe some of them were going, Jesus, did you just say Judas is going to betray you and Peter is going to deny you? And then did you also say that you are leaving us? Does that mean we're going to be all alone? Jesus, I don't know if you know this or not, but all this stuff that we've been doing and following you, and it's like, it doesn't work without you. And now you're going to leave us? What are we going to do now? I've got to believe that some of that heaviness was in the room that night, and I think that's why their hearts were so troubled. And if we're being realistic, and I want to be realistic with you every time that we open up God's Word, that the hope of heaven and the return of Christ, that is, that is awesome, and I want to live one day of my life without that future hope in front of me. But I believe there had to be some of the disciples who were thinking, how in the world are we going to manage until that day happens? Have you ever felt like that before? Have you ever had any emotions like that before? We say, I'm all alone. What am I going to do now? I lost my helper. I'm confused. Does God know what's going on in my life? What am I going to, have you ever experienced that? On some levels, we've all experienced that. Some of us have experienced that to levels you didn't even know were possible to experience some of those kinds of feelings. And let's be honest, the return of Christ and the hope of heaven 
It is comforting, but it doesn't solve all the problems that are happening right now and how we're going to get through these days. I mean, if you've ever thought, man, I, I, I just got the most devastating news in my life and I'm feeling lost and helpless. I'm numb. I can't get out of bed. Oh, wait a minute. I just remember Jesus is coming back one day. Oh, well, that's better now. doesn't work that way, does it? What Jesus says next, I, I believe, are some of the most beautifully comforting words that Jesus will ever say that get overlooked but absolutely apply even to us. Jesus is gonna tell these disciples that night, oh, I'm not leaving you alone. Not now, not ever. If you jump down to verse 15, this is what Jesus says. If you love me, keep my commands. We could talk a lot about that, but just let that hover over what we're talking about today. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them." If you follow the whole line of thought, you've got to read the whole thing. But Jesus, what he's doing here in that room on that night is he's going to flip the script on these disciples. Yes, I'm leaving. You're right. But you're not going to be alone. You're right. I'm leaving. But I will still be with you. I will not leave you feeling as orphans. I'm leaving. But you're not alone. Now, friends, I'm going to tell you something right now. If that is true for us too, and I would argue that it is, that is comforting to me. For me personally, knowing that the Lord has made a promise that he's never gonna leave me alone and that I'm never gonna have to walk another day through this life without his presence as I wait for eternal glory to come, that brings me great comfort. And Jesus said to the disciples, I am going to leave you, and he uses this word, an advocate. Now that word advocate can be translated, and it is translated elsewhere in scripture, as a counselor, it's also translated as a helper. He calls this advocate the spirit of truth. Jesus here is talking about the Holy Spirit. You're not going to be alone because the Holy Spirit will come. And this is comforting. Now, this is not the first reference to the Holy Spirit in the Bible. In fact, far from it. But I would say this, that that night in that room, in a way, is an introduction to a new function of the Holy Spirit that will be set in motion the day the church begins in Acts chapter 2. It's like Jesus is saying to his disciples, everything is about to change, but it's going to be okay because I'm going to give you a helper to help you navigate it, a counselor, an advocate, the Holy Spirit. Jump, jump down to verse 25 because Jesus is far from being done talking about the Holy Spirit. <coughs> 
He says in verse 25, all of this I have spoken while still with you. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So on this night, this very night, the night that Jesus gets arrested, the day before he dies on the cross, he gives his disciples and us a glimpse of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's role in the future. Now, can I be frank with you about something? Any conversation that involves a group of Christians about who the Holy Spirit is and the role of the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit may enable a believer to do and what he may not be able to do, what the disciples were able to do versus what we might be able to do now. Well, let me just tell you, those kind of questions inside the church walls usually leads to a very lively discussion. And the reason is because there are varying levels of viewpoints on the role and function of the Holy Spirit back then and now. I have no intentions of jumping into the middle of that conversation today. My purpose today is I want us to take a very close look at what Jesus said to his disciples on that Thursday night, the final week of Jesus' life, about the coming of the Holy Spirit in the context of, of what they were going through and how the disciples would have most likely understood what Jesus was trying to tell them about the Holy Spirit. The first thing I think they would have understood from what Jesus was telling them was this. The disciples would have understood that the Holy Spirit was coming and it would be coming from the Father. They would have understood that. Even though not fully until later, they would have grasped that understanding. The Lord is gonna send. Translation, we will not be alone. Remember, they're receiving this news and it's becoming very real. Jesus is leaving, but we're not gonna be alone. That's what they'd have understood. Now, Jesus is about to go and do the very thing he came to this earth to do, which is to die on the cross and raise to life. And in doing so, conquering sin and death and redeeming the world by reconciling God to man. That is why Jesus came to earth. After which, he will be leaving. And we read about, after the resurrection, he ascends into heaven and he will leave. His earthly ministry will be over. But God will send another helper. God will send a counselor, an advocate, the spirit of truth. And that is what they would have understood in that moment. Jesus is leaving, but the Lord is going to send someone else. And we will not be alone. We will not be off. They would have, they would have got that. Here's the second thing that they would have understood that Jesus was telling them that night. That this Holy Spirit would live with them and would be in them. In fact, those are the very words that Jesus said in verse 17 of chapter 14. That, that the Holy Spirit will live with you and be in you. And you know what that says and I think would have translated to them? That this is a very personal thing that's coming. This is something that we're going to interact with. That we are going to know. This is going to be something very real, and it also would translate that this Holy Spirit is for them, that this Holy Spirit is not coming into the world for the world. This is coming for them. 
In fact, Jesus even says, as he's explaining this, listen, the world cannot accept the Holy Spirit, but you can. And you're going to learn a lot of things. You're going to know some things. So they would have understood in the context of that conversation that the Holy Spirit was coming for those that were a part of God, that those that love the Lord, the, the believers, the, the followers of Christ. That is who this advocate is coming for. They would have also known this, number three, that the Holy Spirit will teach the disciples new truths and remind them of everything that Jesus taught. So Jesus is, is revealing to us in John 14 and 15 a very specific function of the Holy Spirit for the disciples, that he's going to teach them some brand new truths. And he's also going to serve as the role of reminding them everything that Jesus taught them. You've got to remember, Jesus' ministry on earth was only two to three short years. That is hardly a long enough time for these disciples, some of them being fishermen and others that were plucked right out of society to follow Jesus, that's not enough time for them to fully grasp and learn everything that they were supposed to know and everything that they were supposed to do after Jesus was gone. So the Lord sends a helper, an advocate, Holy Spirit, to teach them new truths and to also remind them of all those conversations they had with Jesus, to remind them of all the miracles they had with Jesus and all the applications that Jesus made as he went about these several years. The Holy Spirit will help these disciples connect the dots, so to speak, of what would become the doctrine of the church and would help them write the New Testament. When the early church, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Well, where did they get that? Their time with Jesus and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is revealing this, and I believe that they would have had a basic understanding that this helper would come and, and this helper would help them do whatever it is that God was having them do. Now, there's more to be said, but jump over to chapter 15, and I want you to, to scroll down to verse 26, because Jesus has more to say about the Holy Spirit. In verse 26 of chapter 15, Jesus will say, when the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. Here's what I think they would have understood Jesus telling them. That the Holy Spirit would be in partnership with the disciples. What did Jesus say? He says the Holy Spirit will testify and you are going to testify. And in other words, you are going to work together. There is going to be a partnership between you as the disciples and my Holy Spirit to do something great, to make me known. They're going to work together to see this accomplished. They're going to, they don't know it all yet, but they're going to be tasked with the responsibility of starting the church and spreading the good news all around the world. They're not going to do it all by themselves. They're going to do it in partnership with the Holy Spirit. The Lord will be with them. And I'll tell you something, that's of great comfort to me, too. We are tasked with spreading the good news around the world, but we don't have to do it alone. The Lord will help us. It's a partnership. 
Jesus will continue, if you keep reading, on into chapter 16. And I know I'm summarizing some things for you. But in chapter 16, Jesus will make some predictions that he will lay at the disciples' feet. One of those predictions is this. After I'm gone, many of you will be tempted to, to, to abandon the faith. You'll be tempted to fall away. He's, I'm telling you this ahead of time so you know that it's going to happen. Here's some other things that are going to happen. All of you are going to be kicked out of the synagogue. Remember we talked about a few weeks what it means to be cast out or thrown out of the synagogues? In other words, you are going to be ostracized. You're going to be kicked out on the account of me. Uh, The Jewish people, they won't want you anymore. That's going to happen. Some of you are going to be tempted to run away because of it. And then he says this, and I bet you could have heard a pin drop in the room. He says, some of you, after I'm gone will be put to death. And here's the really twisted thing about what Jesus says. And the people who kill you, they will actually think they're killing you as a service to God. That's messed up. You can read all about it in chapter 16. So Jesus said, this is what's about to happen. And there's a reason for why Jesus waited till the very end to tell them this. I think there's some obvious things of why. Would I want to know that on day one? Nope. Because I would have not made it to three years. Jesus says, I'm telling you this now because up to this point, you've had me. But I'm leaving, remember? I'll help you. The Holy Spirit be with you. But this is what is coming. And this was very troubling news to the disciples. If you look over in chapter 16 and and go down to verse 6, this is what happens next. Jesus says, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. I would be too. But very truly, I tell you, verse 7, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father where you cannot see me any longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Who's he talking about? The devil. He's condemned already. He loses. There's a lot of information here to take in. In fact, Jesus will even say, this is pretty much more than you can bear. He'll say that later. This is why the Holy Spirit will help them in the days ahead. But they would have understood this that night about what Jesus was saying. The Holy Spirit won't come until Jesus leaves. The Holy Spirit won't come. The way that Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit and what it will do, it won't happen until Jesus leaves. And Jesus says, this is a good thing. There's some things that go through my mind when I read this. That this is a good thing that Jesus leaves. You know what it says to me? Well, first of all, it says the Lord is in control. And I try to point out to you everywhere in Scripture where it's obvious these things where it shows God's in complete control. Jesus like, this has been the master plan from the beginning. I'm going to be here for a couple years. I'm going to raise you guys up, but I am going to die. That's for a very specific purpose. I'm going to leave. But now the Holy Spirit's going to come, and that's a good thing. Listen, God is in control, and it shows me very clearly that God has a plan. Jesus' ministry has a specific 
purpose. And then there is going to be a transition. And the transition is the ushering in of the Holy Spirit and the launch of the church and the opening of, of, of God's family to the entire world for salvation. No, no, God's completely in control. So Jesus says, I got to go for this next thing to happen. And this is a good thing. And if you ever think for a minute that God doesn't pay attention to what's going on in your life, he does. Don't think that way. He does. I believe with all my heart that God is more intricately involved in the aspects of our lives, the daily parts of our lives, than we'll ever give him credit for. This is the God that, that, that knew you before he formed you in, his, in your mother's womb. This is the God that knows how many um, sands is on every shore in the world. This is the God that can count the number of hairs on your head or lack thereof in my case this is the God who knows all of that and when he says to his disciples it's a good thing for me to leave so the Holy Spirit can come our Lord's in control and I hope that encourages you today it does me here's what Jesus says next in verse 12 I have much more to say to you more than you can bear and I think we all say yep yep I agree But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. Here's what I believe the disciples would have understood that night. The Holy Spirit will guide the disciples. The Holy Spirit will guide the disciples. What will, guide them in what? Jesus said in verse 13, guide them in the truth. Guide them in the truth. And that truth, where is that going to come from? Well, Jesus says that truth is going to come directly from the Lord. Because what will the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit will only speak what he hears from God. And what he hears from God, he will give to the disciples. And it's the truth. And then Jesus says the Holy Spirit will even tell you about things that are yet to come. How do you think John, our John, wrote the book of Revelation? Because the book of Revelation is a lot about what is to come. How did he do that? He did it with the help of the Holy Spirit. Who delivered to him exactly what he was to write from God. All of what the Holy Spirit will share with these disciples moving forward will be directly from God. You ask me a question of, why do I believe the Bible? Well, that's a whole other sermon, or four. But in short, I can tell you that you have the disciples, who many of whom were with Jesus, and you have like the Apostle Paul, and you have others. They didn't just make up the New Testament. They didn't just come up with these wild, harebrained stories and somehow it all fits 
perfectly with all the books of the New Testament as well as harmonizes perfectly with the Old Testament. It didn't just happen by happenstance. No, they were guided and directed from the Lord through the Holy Spirit. This counselor, this helper, this advocate, the spirit of truth that Jesus was talking about, that's how it happened. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, James, 1st and 2nd Peter, 1st and 2nd, 3rd John, Jude and Revelation. All scripture is God breathed. And Jesus said the Holy Spirit will teach you these things. So Jesus promised that they would have help. And to me, man, that's comforting. When did the Holy Spirit come? Because Jesus was talking about this will happen. It hasn't happened yet, but it will happen. When did it happen? It happened exactly 50 days after Jesus came out of that tomb. So Jesus rose to life on you know, what we would call Easter Sunday. 50 days after Easter is called the day of Pentecost. And on the day of Pentecost, this is what happened. You don't need to turn there right now, but you can just listen. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. So we're talking, we're not talking a long time after the upper room conversation, a little over 50 days. This is what happened. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. It was the disciples and other believers. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with what? The Holy Spirit. And began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Boy, I tell you, there's a few times I'd love to be on a fly in the wall in history, wouldn't you? I'd have loved to have been in that room. I would love to have seen what that was like. Here in Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, and why it gets so much attention in the church today. This is the day that everything that Jesus said about the Holy Spirit is becoming a reality. And this is the day that everything changes. And this is the day the church was launched. And all of this gets set in motion. And here we are, 2,000 years plus later, Bella Vista, Arkansas, studying God's word, the body of Christ. I want you to know today that if you're a Christian, you are never truly alone, ever. The Lord is with you. His Spirit, the Holy Spirit, lives with you and is in you. Now, this conversation about the Holy Spirit, I acknowledge it is broader than the upper room conversation with Jesus and his disciples. The Holy Spirit is all over the New Testament. So this is a broader conversation. But I can tell you that Jesus still desires to comfort you today just like he desired to comfort his disciples in the upper room on that Thursday evening all those years ago. And there is no greater comfort in the world, in my opinion, than knowing that God is walking each and every day with you. 
That no matter what happens, the Lord is right by your side. He is still in control. He notices everything. He has a plan for your life, and it's probably bigger than what you ever dreamed it could be. That brings me great comfort. And if the Holy Spirit doesn't dwell with you and in you today, there is only one reason for why it doesn't. And that one reason is this. It's because you are still of the world. Do you remember what Jesus said to his disciples? The world cannot and will not ever accept my spirit, ever. That's why. But who can accept? Well, Jesus says this. We've read it already, but he told his disciples this in the upper room in chapter 14, verse 21. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Jesus is setting the stage for faith. Jesus is setting the stage for people who will fully believe that he died on the cross and he rose from the dead three days later and that he's coming again that have accepted that by faith and have made the commitment that I love the Lord and I will live for him every day and I accept what he has for my life and I will obey his words, these inspired Holy Spirit guided from the Lord words in the New Testament and I will live for him every single day. And I know I'm gonna mess up. I know I'm not perfect, but I'm gonna bathe in his grace and know that he loves me and I'm living for him to the best of my abilities and I believe true followers of Christ that's in who the Holy Spirit dwells one thing is very true and we know this to be a fact there is no such thing as a Christian without the Holy Spirit the Lord in you faith, love, obedience so I'll leave with this question. I think anytime you talk about the Holy Spirit this way, we have to do some self-reflecting. Lord, where am I at with you? Does your spirit dwell in me? What do you believe? I can't answer any of these questions for you, but I believe John 14 through 16 causes us to talk about and reflect. Where are you at today with the Lord? Is there any sin in your life that is keeping the Holy Spirit way back here and keeping you from becoming all that God wants you to be and all that God can do through your life. Are you quenching the Spirit because of sin or worldliness? Or is the Spirit alive and well in you? I can't answer that for you. But it does consider, or it does cause us to consider these things.